So everyone's in these cars and they're driving down this interstate that's never ending. And they're mashing the gas, mashing the gas, mashing the gas, whether that be Airbnb investing, uh, stock market, index funds, business creation. Like they've got their vehicle and they're just going until they redline. And that red line looks like divorce, uh, anxiety, freaking depression, uh, sickness, cancer. And people never stop. And that's where burnout occurs because we don't know what the actual end destination is. So I always tell people start with the end destination in mind before we get in the vehicle to start driving. But after a month of laying on the beach, you're just hungover and sunburned. All right. I've done it. I've done the thing that you're trying to do. The reality of the situation is you need something to work on and work towards. That's where happiness and purpose and fulfillment come from. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 301. Stace, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday to you today. And we celebrate the 4th of July tomorrow. Happy birthday, America. It's always a double whammy in our household, but it's a lot of fun, especially in Texas, because the fireworks are always on the 3rd of July for the most part, at least the biggest ones. Yes. Growing up, I always went to Kaboom Town in Addison in the Dallas area on my birthday. So I've grown up just loving fireworks because everyone likes to party on my birthday. <laughs> Good times. Outside of that, I guess we're in the middle of summer. Anything else going on in your world that's uh, fun and interesting and exciting? It's been a fun summer of adventure so far. Trying to uh, log some more memories into the memory dividends bank account for our family spending a lot of time at the pool and also planning some fun hikes and adventures yeah it's uh it's heating up that's for sure so today we have a buddy of mine actually his name is brian he's a net worth of just over a million bucks he's 28 years old so he's pretty young one of our youngest millionaires that we've had on the podcast He's got just over 400000 in home equity, or I should say real estate equity. Some of that's in a primary residence that he's turned into a rental, and then another one that has been a rental for a while. He recently moved to Austin, Texas, as we get into and discuss the proximity of uh, your network, a little bit in cash, and then uh, about $87,000 in retirement accounts, $26,000 in some crypto and the rest is in uh, his small business. So great episode with him. He used to be in sales and worked up the, the corporate ladder for a while and has recently left that and started his own business. So we get into the, the discussion about taking that leap and all the that comes with that. And uh, before he did that, he traveled around the world for about a year and uh, made made uh, several memories and went on several adventures. So, going to be a great episode with him. Last week we had my parents. Uh, y'all's downloads have nearly broken the internet in a way, much to my dad's dismay. It'll probably be the most downloaded episode ever for us. So I appreciate that. I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email: a millionairesunveiled at gmail Also, everybody have a great 4th of July out there. Stay safe. And without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Brian. Brian, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? What's up, everybody? My name is Brian Lubin. I did kind of the uh, traditional path to wealth. I graduated college, hopped in a sales job, did the corporate America thing, and made it to the top. I was number eight in a sales organization in a Fortune 500 out of 5,079 rep. Uh, Won the awards, filled a trophy case full of them. Uh, got promoted, got promoted, and then they told me I was going to get the VP position, finally get everything I ever wanted, made it to the mountaintop, realized I was climbing the wrong mountain. So I took the obvious next step, quit the job, went and traveled full-time around the world in 2022. So obvious next step, right? <laughs> Holy cow, hold on here for a second. Man. <laughs> so traveled around the world, hold on, rewind. 
go back for a second. Like, this is crazy. What led you to decide to go travel around the world and leave? And I mean, in most cases, this is like everybody's dream is what you're living. And then you like completely did a flip to 180. Like, what happened? Yeah, sounds like a heck of a podcast episode, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, where do you want me to give? Where do you want me to begin, man? We can take this down so many different directions. <laughs> what 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 led you to the decision to to leave the job first and then travel, or were they kind of simultaneous? Cool. So I have a macro answer and I have a micro answer. Which one do you want first? Let's get Let's get the micro first. We'll go to macro second. Cool. So the micro was I looked at my boss's boss. So in corporate America, when you're getting groomed for that next position, whether that be a sales manager or a vice president or any operations position, whatever have you, um, you shadow the person, right? So they'll start putting you through um, different like circuits where you go and you'll spend a week with them. You'll kind of, they'll kind of show you the ropes. They'll show you their job. And so I was uh, shadowing my VP of sales and that was going to be me if I kicked tail uh, in the next five years because, you know, I was slotted for that promotion. I was like the golden child. Um, in my in my job. And I looked at him and I was just like, dude, I do not want to be you. I was like, you are not with your family. You're missing your daughters grow up. You're traveling around and doing PowerPoint presentations, basically full time around the southeast. I was like, dude, I don't want this life. And frankly, he didn't make that much more than me on paper. So I looked at that and I was like, well, this is my next five years. If I crush it, I was like, this is if I give it all I've got. That's not a worthy pursuit. So that's advice that I give to people that are listening to these shows um, because they all care about building wealth, building passive income, whatever have you. I tell them, look at your boss's boss. And if you don't want to be that person, it's time to start planning your escape. Always. So that's the micro. The macro was I created what's called a vivid vision. And I was sitting in my cubicle and I was looking out at what I wanted in my life. It was um, shortly after making that realization of my boss's boss, I was like, okay, well, if I could do anything in the world, if I had like $100 million in my bank account, what would I do? And so I started writing it out. And uh, that's one of the books that I always recommend people, Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. I had him on my podcast and I read his book. And it basically says, write a three-year vision like in present tense. So you're three years in the future. You have everything you ever wanted. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What's a day look like? And I wrote it out and I was like, I wake up in the morning and I go out on my balcony and I could see the Greek uh, sunrise in the distance over Mykonos. I just pulled it out of nowhere. And I said, in the morning, I'm free to do whatever I want. In the afternoon, I have calls for my business that did not yet exist. And this is what I do full time. I can make money traveling, doing what I want, when I want, with who I want. I'm financially free all this good stuff. And this is sitting in the cubicle of my corporate job. And 1.5 years after that, I planned to do it in five years. I pulled it off in 1.5. So I did that thing. Wow. It's amazing what can happen when, when you just put your mind to something, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, most people are in this car, right? And they're driving down the road. And we talk about this on your show all the time, all these different paths to wealth, these everyday millionaires. Um, so we all know how to save money, frugality, living beneath your means, making more income. We get that. The problem is everybody focuses so much on the vehicle, but not the destination. So everyone's in these cars and they're driving down this interstate that's never ending. And they're mashing the gas, mashing the gas, mashing the gas, whether that be Airbnb investing, uh, stock market, index funds, business creation. Like they've got their vehicle and they're just going until they redline. And that red line looks like divorce, uh, anxiety, freaking depression, uh, sickness, cancer, and people never stop. And that's where burnout occurs because we don't know what the actual end destination is. So I always tell people start with the end destination in mind before we get into the vehicle to start driving. So that's, that's been, that's served me very well. Yeah. And I want to get a little bit more into this, this mindset stuff, but what, what's, uh, what's your net worth today? Right. Well, yeah, we were just talking off camera. I've, I've lost, <laughs> ironically, about 200, probably 50,000. Right now, I'm right at the 1.03. So 1 million and 37,000. So a million dollar hauler right now, baby. I love it. Yeah. It was a lot more fun when it was uh, a little bit over. But it was ironic <laughs> because this was my ultimate goal in life was to make it to this point. Yeah. And I made it. And I was like, huh, where's the confetti? <laughs> right, right. How how is this broken up? So I've got it all written out because we just did the P PFS. So I've got four hundred eight thousand dollars in home equity. I've got two properties, um, one that's still a primary, and then another that's a rental. I do co living. We can get into that. Uh, I got one hundred thirteen thousand in cash, 
We've got 113,000 in um, equities and crypto, and that's broken down into 87,000 in equities, which is just index funds, boring stuff, 26,000 in crypto. Um, I've got a podcast business, which prints out, printed out $112,000 last year um, through affiliate, not CPM. So there's two different types of revenue for podcasts, CPM, CPA, which we can get into. Um, purely affiliates. I made 112 this year. I'm on 24,000 for affiliates for 2023. So I'm valuing that at just a 1x multiple of just 100,000. And then I've got a mastermind group that's 212,000 ARR right now. And I value that at 2x. So that's 296,000. Good stuff. So the, the properties, you got one primary and then one co-living or one rental or how, how do you categorize that? Well, technically, I just moved out. So it's okay. still my primary on paper, but I just moved to Austin, Texas to an apartment to like my dream apartment. I'm having the rental properties pay the rent here. So both my houses in Atlanta, Georgia are fully rented out co-living. So rent by the room. Gotcha. Okay. So moved away, had a house that you owned, but now you're renting. Ironically, right? Crazy, right? I mean, this has happened, I don't know, a handful of times on this show, but walk me through the mindset of, of getting to that point and moving away from, from Atlanta to, to Austin. This is actually a great point, and I'm glad you asked that because I this is something I podcast every day, dang near probably 10 hours a week, and nobody's asked me this question, and I'm really excited to get into this, so thank you for that. So I started my financial freedom journey by living in an apartment and saying, wow, this is terrible. I'm throwing money away, right? We all go th through this process, especially as real estate investors. So I'm throwing money away. I'm going to you know, start saving money to buy my first property. I'm going to move a roommate in. Move a roommate in, buy your first property. I did what's called the house hack method. So I moved into one part of the house, put 3% down, conventional financing, rented the other rooms out. Pretty normal, pretty boring, not very sexy. Repeated the process again, put 5% down, did the house hack thing again, rented the other rooms out. So as I did this, I was living about 40 minutes north of Atlanta, Georgia. So I was out in the suburbs a bit. And I had a girlfriend at the time that was always wanting to go do things in the city and be in the city. And it would be a 40-minute drive down into Atlanta and then a 40-minute drive back up home. And so I wasn't really doing too, too much in the city or hanging out with people that were living in the middle of Atlanta. So I traveled around the world, uh, which we can get into, get into a little bit more in detail in a bit. Um, I was three months in Europe, three months in uh, Brazil, South America, and then I spent a little bit of time in Singapore. And I learned the power of environment because when I'm in these beautiful places, I'm meeting awesome people that are doing massive things that I wouldn't meet 40 minutes north in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. And so when I traveled around, I got that perspective. When I came home, I was just like living in the basement of my house hack once again. And I was asking the question, what is the eight figure version of Brian look like? Like, what does that guy do? Where does that guy live? What's his office look like? Is his office, is his podcast studio just like this desk in this basement in a house hack 40 minutes north of Atlanta? And the answer was no. And through the power of mentorship and a bunch of people that I know, like, and trust that were ahead of me that had made it to the eight-figure mark, they said, dude, you need to change your environment. Like, you just traveled around. You saw how that impacted your business. It's time to go. So I never thought that I would rent again, uh, but I ended up moving to Austin, Texas on a whim and where a lot of my mentors actually live. And so now I'm very close in proximity to them. We're always hanging out. Uh, it's already opened massive doors for me. So the importance of environment is insane. I actually have switched my perspective on this and would recommend, if possible, I think it's a preferable outcome for you to have a crappy house or a crappy apartment in a fantastic area where people are moving and shaking, as opposed to a mansion or a really nice house way out in the outskirts where nobody's doing anything. So I'm right in downtown Austin, right on the river, right on Lady Bird Lake. And it's opened so many doors for me, man. So I, I can't believe I'm renting again either. But quite frankly, it's pretty nice. <laughs> it's crazy you, you bring up the, the proximity to, to these things because, you know, I, I grew up personally in eastern Washington and grew up in a predominantly small business slash very heavy medical community, especially with my parents being in that field. That's really all, all I was around. But my dad told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, if you want to learn business, go to Texas. Because I was born in Houston and my parents lived there for a little bit. And my dad said everybody that he met in Texas just knew business really well. Mm -hmm. And I took that advice 
probably not a lot of other advice that my dad gave me <laughs> that I should have, but that was one that I did. And, and it always stuck with me and I, and I came back and, I, and I'll never regret it. And of course, now I'm here in Austin and the proximity to, to a lot of people that I, you know, I know, like, and trust. And I have, have really learned to, to grow and, and I've learned a lot from. So it's interesting you bring that up. Real quick, I want to mention something because we usually don't have people as young as you on the podcast too. But just so our listeners know, how old is Brian? No, 28. <laughs> 28. 28 so, old, so really in five college, did you graduate at 22? When I graduated college? Yeah. Graduated college in 2016, 2017. So yeah, about 22. Yeah, 22, 22 years old. So call it, even with corporate job, did you get to millionaire status in five, six years probably? Yeah, just about. Wow. But in the first two or three of that, uh, I'd say the first two of that was making a quarter million dollars a year and spending every single dollar. Really? So, yeah, I had a moment where I learned of what net worth was. And even people that are you know, making money and good at making money, they don't necessarily know about assets and, and net worth and wealth building. It's not a skill. It's a whole separate skill than what's taught in um, school and especially in corporate America. They don't talk about it much. All they talk about is how to get the next promotion, how to politic, all that different stuff. And we can get into corporate America and all that in a bit too. But I learned what net worth was because I started switching my sales podcast for real estate podcast. And I heard this guy talking. He was talking about net worth and passive income, financial freedom. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm worth nothing, man. I'm worthless. <laughs> I, was making, I was making a lot of money. You know, 23, 24 years old, I was wheeling and dealing. I was just spending it all. And I was really good at spending money. And so that what was a cool moment. Oh, dude, I was traveling all across uh, U.S. I'd fly to Miami for a weekend, go down to the clubs, come back up, uh, just high-rise apartment. Just yeah, dude, I was I was spending. I was good at spending money, um, but I immediately stopped that. Started accumulating assets, accumulating wealth, and then that's where the entire journey began. Did you ever think like, what happens if I lost my job or anything like that when you were spending that much? No, because I was young. I was younger. And also, quite frankly, I believe that when you have a very rare and valuable skill, like an income producing skill, you're not as concerned about that stuff. Because for context, like if you have the ability to code and you're a really good coder right now, that's a very rare and valuable skill in this marketplace. And so is sales. So in my mind, I was like, worst case scenario, which I never expected that that job would end at all. Because like I said, I was the golden child. Um, kind of soaring through their corporate skies over there. But worst case scenario, if I were to get fired or let go, which would have required me basically punching like my HR director to do that, um, I would have just found another sales job and made six figures. Because it's like once you get to that skill set, it's like you're never not going to make six figures ever again. And so that's why I always harp like the first investment anybody should make if you're listening to this and you're maybe young, maybe you're in college, maybe you're just about to graduate. I'd say the first thing to invest in is you, like building your skill sets, building your income producing uh, ability. That's the first thing I'd invest in. During your sales training and sales career, were you spending a lot of time developing that craft or did you have a natural gift for it? Both. Um, I had a natural proclivity for it with my personality and with extroversion, but I truly put my 10,000 hours in. So everyone talks about, um, you know, 10 year overnight success and there's different like degrees of competent competency. You have like unconsciously incompetent, which which is you don't know how bad you are, and then you're consciously incompetent, where you're like, okay, I, I suck, <laughs> and then it goes to conscious uncon like conscious competence and then unconscious competence. So I put my 10,000 10, hours in, man. I made the sales calls. I did the role plays every day. I had mentors in my corporate job. I was listening to sales podcasts every single day for hours and hours and hours, reading all the books, doing all the training. Um, and that's what made me get to the top. Like I just really did that Rocky cut scene where he's running through and just punching the freaking meat in the basement. Like I think it's unavoidable. You need that Rocky cut scene. Yeah, for sure. So real quick, you've got a little bit in, in the index funds. How did that get there and why did you decide to do that when it seems like you know, you, you've had some success in real estate? So yeah, that was there. That was the first move that I made was just investing in index funds because when you're learning about freedom and finance and all of that good stuff, then you just start with index funds, kind of like the whole boglehead method, where I was just like, okay, I will save money and invest in index funds, and that was the 
traditional path that I was kind of following. So that just was, it just grew over time. And I have that. I'm probably about to deplete it uh, right now. Like, and it used to be a lot more, obviously, but right now I'm just letting it sit and simmer just for the sole fact of diversification. Um, same thing with my cash. The only thing I would do with it if I were to sell it was just would just be to hold it in cash because I'm not currently buying real estate until next year. So I'm just waiting. So while that's kind of sitting and accumulating, if anything, I'd maybe buy securities or like treasuries, like six month, 12 month treasuries. But right now, all of my focus, all my mental space is on my business. That's all I care about. Why, why are you buying real estate till next year? Is it just to focus on the business? Yeah, it's my one thing. So I've become buddies with Jay Papazon, who's the, one of the co-authors of The One Thing. Um, that's another awesome book by Jay and Gary Keller. And he, people are good at a lot of things for the most part. I want to be really great at one thing. So I got advice from a mentor that said, if you have five businesses and they're all doing like $100,000 in revenue annually, then wouldn't it be better to just have one business that's doing five hundred? I was like, and he's like, wouldn't that make your life more fun and manageable and easy? And couldn't you scale that even faster? I was like, absolutely. So I finally found my one thing and I'm all in on that. That is when I wake up in the morning, I'm very crystal clear about what I'm working on that day, what my goals are, what needles I'm moving. And uh, the irony of this is this week on Thursday, I've got to fly to freaking Atlanta, Georgia to evict a tenant. And to do a final walkthrough because she just decided to stop paying and it's a massive thorn in my side um, because my property manager quit as well. So that's real estate. There's no such thing as true, true passive income. It's degrees of passivity. So right now, um, my goal is to build my business up to a million dollars ARR with a 70% margin. And if I can put all my energy and effort into that, then moving into next year with my podcast and the business operating as it is with my connections, I'll have the cash flow and connections to just take down massive triple net lease commercial properties and ride off into the sunset. So I'm no longer investing in single family. I'm going to do big deals with big people. So eventually you're going to sell all these properties or sell these two properties? That's been a point of contention. Um, that's actually been a conversation that's been brought up by multiple people. Right now, I'm holding on to them just because there's nothing else I would do with the capital currently. If they continue to be a problem, then yes, I'd consider selling them. They both cash flow beautifully. So I'm cash flowing about $3,600 net between those properties monthly. And so that's super fun. But, you know, it's a bit more of a operational drag when you're doing co-living. So it's been quiet for a while. And now CapEx is coming up and all that's coming up. So we will see. I'm not quite sure yet what I want to do with them, but I think that I'm going to let them simmer, maybe do a home equity line of credit and have that available. Just do some LOCs on them. Worst case, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I want to do a cash out refinance, but there's the rates are so good that it'd be almost difficult for me to sell them. I have a 3.2 on the first one and I have a 2.5% interest rate on the second one. Wow. So it's like free money. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the money you did have in retirement account, you transferred that out to buy real estate? Oh, yeah. I don't got retirement accounts. That's my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so, uh, and I know, hey, guys, this is my opinion. This is not financial advice. All right. Everybody's situation is different and you may not agree with me. And that's perfectly okay. There's one opinion I had when I was researching all the different options I could use with my money that's in my retirement account. I had like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 in my retirement account. And I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, what do I want to use this for? And the original idea was I wanted to take it out to buy like a laundromat or a cash flowing business, like a car wash laundromat, hire an operator, move them in, and then have that be another passive income source. So I was looking at that. I was looking at real estate. And as I was going through it, I was looking at the different loan vehicles that you could use out of your 401k, right? So you can invest in real estate out of your 401k or IRA. And you can also roll it into um, solo 401k. You can roll it into um, an EQRP. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you could do it. But every single way that I was seeing, it essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my research, I was just like, okay, so I can do this. I could buy the asset, but the cash flow from the asset has to go back to the vehicle. So I'm like, if I'm cash flowing $1,000 a month, that cash flow is returning to the retirement vehicle, not into my pocket that I can spend to buy groceries and have fun, which is the reason I'm investing in real estate. So I was just like, 
this is so difficult for me to have access to my own dang money. It was irritating to me. So I just paid the 10% pre-withdrawal penalty. I paid the taxes on it. I withdrew it. And uh, I've slept just fine at night ever since. That's pretty wild. So let's fast forward here just, just a little bit. In five to 10 years, what does your asset allocation look like? From today? From today. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, so I want my media company at 10 million ARR. So I want 10 million plus of annual recurring revenue for that one. I want an eight figure valuation for that company. Podcast, I want to have oh, five, 10 years. That's easily a million dollars a year just from a podcast, um, from that business alone through advertisers and affiliates. Real estate, I'll have commercial properties with big players. I, I partner with operators. I want to be really good at my thing and have other people that I'm best friends with that are really good at their thing instead of trying to be a jack of all trades, master of none. So what I'm going to do is be like the most connected capital guy. Right now, just as I'm sitting today, I could probably send an email and raise $10 million. I truly believe that I could do that um, just based off of my network that I have today. Five years from now, it's going to be through the roof. So I would say that at that point, I'll probably have a fund or be a part of a fund with multiple partners where I'm the capital raiser, kind of like Brandon Turner, bigger pocket style, where he kind of did his exodus and created his mobile home park fund. I'll probably do something like that. At minimum, I would say probably $20 million in equity. um, And probably I would say today, triple at least commercial buildings is what I'm looking at. And that's the most attractive one for me personally, but we will see what happens. But I don't want to focus on that. All my focus is, is on my media company and then all the cash flow will go to the operators that I partner with. How much would you typically of your net worth, or maybe you haven't thought of this, I don't know, would you keep liquid or, you know, fairly liquid for, for, you know, deal flow or reinvest in your business or whatever? And yeah, so I don't have a certain percentage right now. I'm pretty cash heavy on 113,000. Um, that's mostly in my operating for my business, but I can also draw on that personally. I'm not quite sure. I don't have a a direct answer. I would like to have a year's worth of salary for me. So about a hundred, $120,000 post tax for me to have to spend. And I'd like employee salaries completely covered for a year. So I'd like my, I'd like to have enough in cash reserves for my business to operate an entire year without bringing in additional revenue. And then I'd like to have pretty stout cash reserves for each one of the properties, um, probably $10,000 plus per property. So it's just depending. It's just percentages, percentage allocation based off of whatever assets I accumulate. And we should acu- we should be able to hit that pretty shortly with how the business cash flow is growing month over month. And so that's been pretty fun. But yeah, so right now I don't have a specific answer. It also completely depends on the macro economy. Right now, I think cash is king. It's best to have as much cash as possible and access to capital, access to LOCs on your business, LOCs on your real estate, uh, because we're about to see opportunity popping up left and right. Whether that be today, six months, 12 months, 16 months, it's just going to be like a three-year process as we kind of go through this turbulence that we're in right now, the recession that we are in right now. We just saw SVB collapse. We saw Credit Suisse get bought up by UBS. And so it's just like, here we go. It's just the domino effect. Now, all of us are sitting on equity. All of us are sitting on cash. So none of us are necessarily scared. We're just cautious, right? So everyone's playing the game of how do I mitigate loss and have the maximum upside potential. So for me, what that looks like is having a large cash cash position, have recession uh, resistant real estate, B-class properties in suburban blue collar neighborhoods. I am probably going to put some of my money, maybe half of it in a six month or 12 month US treasury at like 6%. And then let that sit to maturity and then collect that. Um, Maybe do a bit of private money lending. I'm not too, too sure. Probably not just because it'd be an extra thing for me to think about. So hopefully that answered your question. But fairly liquid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How has your risk tolerance changed since you were, I don't know, in college or even after college to now? I didn't even think about risk tolerance in college. So um, I'm still pretty swinging for the fences, man, because... 
there is also um, some generational bias that comes with that, right? So we have different biases. Um, so for me, I didn't go through a 2008. So how my generation looks at things is a bit different than how people that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s that went through a 2008 lost everything are. So what I do is I kind of defer to them and follow their judgment. So for me, I'm swinging for the fences, uh, especially with my baby business right now. I'm going all in. Uh, so I've got a pretty high risk tolerance and that will change as time goes on and I enter a different season. So you have different seasons of life. You have uh, wealth accumulation and wealth preservation. It's two different games, two different skills. So I'm full in mashing on the gas on wealth accumulation right now. So for you to do that, you need to swing for the fences. And I think that major wealth and big, the biggest businesses are built in downturns. I'm pretty sure that's a statistical fact. So that's what I'm working on. Awesome. So let's shift gears a little bit. Your podcast, why did you decide to start the podcast? How did you come up with the, the idea, the branding, everything with that? So I was at a mastermind event and I was golfing with a guy and he says, dude, you're very connected. He goes, you like the fact that me and you are golfing together and I didn't know who you were like two months ago is pretty wild. He's like, because I don't really hang out with anyone that I don't really know, but I feel like I've known you forever. He goes, you need to start a podcast. And I just said, okay. It's like, sure, that sounds fun. And I looked at like Tim Ferriss, I looked at Joe Rogan, and those guys had a lifestyle that I admired to where they just basically made a living off of talking and being friends with interesting people. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, and you've got like this niche fame that comes with it to where you've got like the people that listen to your pod where they would kind of fangirl if they saw you, uh, which has happened to me, ironically, even at 50,000 downloads a month. It's insane. But you're not famous enough to where you're going to get like stopped in public. Now, Rogan may get stopped. I think Tim Ferriss would maybe maybe get away with it from time to time. But I looked at their lives and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I started up the podcast, Action Academy podcast, in October of 2021, I believe. And I just grinded away at it. Um, I had relationships built over three years of me just adding value, pouring into people, never asking anything, just shutting up, listening, and taking notes, man. I was a great mentee and I'm still a fantastic mentee to this day and it's something I'm very proud of. I'll just take notes and do things that people told me. Um, that's advice that I give people. Uh, when you find the mentor that you're looking for, like, and they give you advice, implement the advice, document it, and send it back to them and say, "Hey, I did the thing. I'm not a wa- I'm not a waste of your time, right?" So I did that, and then by the time it came time to do the podcast, I had so many deposits that I had made into other people that they wanted to pour back into me. So I had some really cool guests that um, that were able to come on, like high net worth guys from the very very beginning. And that's kind of how my show started. So ever since I began, my sweet spot's kind of been between five and 50 million for my show guest. I've gone up into the nine figures, hundreds of millions a couple of times and a couple billionaires. So that's been pretty cool. I do five episodes a week and that's just, it just was my baby, man. I did it for free. I did it with no intention of it becoming a business and it just happened to become a business. And I think that's the best way to go about this thing is Starting with, you know, your financial foundation, buy the real estate, buy the cash flow businesses, do the stock market, whatever you want, and then figure out what you're really passionate about. Pursue that. Just do it for free and then see if you can build a business off of it. And so that's what I did. Good stuff. When you left your your job and you went to go travel the world, talk me through what led to that decision to go travel. Was it to kind of get this clarity on what you really wanted to do next? Or do you have the podcast idea and you're like, hey, I'm going to go do this while I go travel because that sounds fun and I can. <laughs> so the it all ironically began and stemmed from a mindset coach that I had hired. So I always recommend, like I said, invest in yourself. I invested in you know the $10,000 coaches before I could really afford it. Um, so I had a mindset coach. I was in a couple masterminds and I was talking to my mindset coach and I was like, okay, so, and this was like early to mid 2021. And I was, I was saying, Hey, I've got like $4,000 coming from real estate right now. That kind of replaces my salary, but I'm making like a quarter million. I was like through bonuses and commission. How can I replace that? I was like, it's going to take me five, 10 years through multifamily investing, which was my original idea. And he goes, well, let's figure out how to do it in six months instead. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, well, let's just try it. He's like, if you were to do it, how would you do it? And so I started to rack in my brain and it's 
powerful what your brain comes up with when asked and prompted difficult questions that stretch it. And I was like, dude, I can't generate passive income that fast. And he was like, well, why does it need to be passive? And like, that's what changed my life is I realized I don't really give a crap about passive income per se. I just wanted remote income that I had fun generating while I was traveling. And so we changed our focus to instead of how do I generate $20,000 a month of passive income, how do I generate $20,000 a month in remote scalable income that I enjoy working for people and with people I know I can trust. So we created that goal and we started working towards it and racking our brains about how are we going to accomplish this. And then I was a couple of months deep deep in the podcast and then uh, the mastermind group uh, that I was in GoBundance reached out and they were like, hey, we got a bunch of people that are been joining, you know, GoBundance from your podcast. Would you like to be an affiliate? I was like, heck yeah. And I started talking about the mindset coach, right, on the podcast. And then he was like, yo, I've getting a lot of clients from your podcast. You want to be an affiliate? And I was like, heck yeah. And so I was making like 10 to 15% on these transactions. These were high ticket items, like $10,000, $15,000. And so going into January of 2022, I was making, you know, 20, 30,000 in my W2. And then I was also making an additional now off of affiliates in the real estate, like an additional like 20, 30,000. I was like, holy crap, like this came out of nowhere. And I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. So I started talking about it more on the podcast. I was like, check out this mastermind group, like check this out, like click my link. I'll do a call with you if you want. And we just mashed the gas on it. And then we're, well, through the next couple of months, I was able to save six months of living expenses. So I saved up like $60,000, $70,000. That was directly for travel as my kind of emergency fund. And we uh, were able to dive in, man. So January, February, March, I wanted to make sure that the revenue was still there. Come March, it still was. So I said, all right, screw it. I'm out. And March 17th, I quit. So now I've been out a little bit over a year. That's pretty wild. What What's one of the coolest places that you went to when you were traveling? Definitely Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, I would say, man, there's so many cool places. Uh, Mykonos would probably be the most special for me because that was like my made it moment. Uh, there was two really big made it moments. One was in Mykonos when I landed for the first time and I was just like standing in the suite that I had envisioned and had on my vision board printed out at CVS in a giant frame in my office. I had it on the lock screen of my phone and I was standing there and I had fulfilled my vision, right? I woke up that morning. I saw the sunrise over the ocean. I had that infinity pool suite where it was like in a cave and you had this infinity pool in the back and you just see all of Mykonos and I was just like, dude, I made this out of nowhere. Like, I was like, life, my fundamental life views completely changed after that because I said, if I could pull this off, I could pull off anything. Anyone can pull off anything. We can do this. So that was a huge moment. So I'd say that. And in um, late December for like Christmas and New Year's, I was in Singapore and I had a huge bucket list goal of going to the Marina Bay Sands, which if anyone's seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians, it's like the giant world famous hotel. It's got 57 stories high, and they've got this giant infinity pool that's world famous. And I was up in the infinity pool, and it was just one of the, the first night I got there, and it's 24 hours to fly to uh, Singapore. And I landed, and I went straight to the pool, and it was one of those rare moments in life where you fully are present and appreciate the moment for exactly what it is. And that's very rare. Um, there's this quote that's like, I wish I could remember, you know, I wish I could realize that I was in the good old days before they're before they disappeared and you're looking back like that was a moment where I was just like holy crap like this is everything I wanted it to be so business is very difficult all this game is very difficult entrepreneurship is difficult but moments like that make it worth it how are you financing living on the road for that long (laughs) well I had so I had the real estate so that was four thousand dollars per month and then I was making anywhere from six to fifteen thousand dollars a month from affiliates so a bad month, I would be at ten thousand. Um, a decent month, I'd be up kind of around like fourteen or fifteen. And so I was able to travel uh, with me and my girlfriend at the time for about eight thousand dollars a month. So it, it doesn't take as much as people yeah. think. And we were we were pretty bougie about it too. Like we were whining and dining, you know, Mikado Santorini Crete for a month. Lived in Barcelona for a month, so we were we were wheeling like we're not cheap. And it was still about $8,000 a month. So I was still saving a bit of money. And then come uh, Brazil, which was like 
September, October. Yeah, it was like October, September, October. That's when I created my new business. And then now that and my podcast and my real estate is what I live off of full time. So the new business was, I was like, let me build, like it originally started as a course. So when I was traveling, I was like, what the hell am I going to do next? Like, who am I? Like, this is everything I've ever wanted. Now what? And I couldn't think of anything to work towards or work on. And so there's a lot of people that listen to the show that, you know, they're like, one day I'm going to quit my job and travel the world, financial freedom. Woo. But after a month of laying on the beach, you're just hungover and sunburned. All right. I've done it. I've done the thing that you're trying to do. The reality of the situation is you need something to work on and work towards. That's where happiness and purpose and fulfillment come from. So I was kind of meandering throughout the travels and I started getting really sick with the idea of like, who am I? What am I trying to accomplish? What's the next business that I'm going to build? And so I was like, I'm going to make a course that helps other corporate workers leave their job and transition into entrepreneurship because I did this by myself. And if you do it together and you had like guidance, it would be faster. And so I built like a 12 week course. Um, I had uh, product market fit because a bunch of people started buying it for the podcast for like 1500 bucks. And then we got like 40, 50 people buy the course. And I made like a little Facebook group um, on the side and they all started doing deals together in the Facebook group. And I was like, holy crap, like this is the wrong business I'm in. I was like, I don't need to be in the course business. I'm in the mastermind business. I was like, this isn't a course with an attached Facebook. This is a mastermind with an attached course. And so I quickly pivoted and now we have 130 members and it's been freaking awesome, man. The entire group revolves around helping people transition from corporate into cash flow, which is to be able to replace your salary and help you transition into entrepreneurship. And it's a freaking blast, man. It's that really rare intersection between achievement and fulfillment where it creates cash flow. It's super fun, but it's also the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Wow, that's awesome, man. I wanted to to read some, and, and, and just for our listeners, Brian and I are a little bit closer than I am with most of our guests, so I, I get some of his personal life and a few other things from behind the scenes, but you posted oh, this man. not <laughs> you posted this not too long ago. You said, I guess this is just at your, your mark from Corporate America, but you posted this resignation letter, partner resignation, said, I, Brian Lubin, without coercion, undue influence, threat, or intimidation, voluntarily resign my employment with, with blank. My last day of employment was 3-30-2022, signed Brian Lubin, 3-31-22. Why did you make that? I had to. They forced me. <laughs> Your company forced you. Oh, I was thinking this was like Brian Lubin. Like, I'm making sure that like there's, I'm, no, there's no turning back. Like, this is done. Well, life happens for us, not to us, right? So in the moment, I was super pissed off about it. I was like, what the heck, dude? So I was like a, a figurehead in, in my region. So it was a big deal for me to quit. I was slotted for everything, right? People that are in corporate America that are listening to this, like they realize how insane that is. Like you are on the, tra- you're on the trajectory that you're in, right? And so I went on a Wednesday and I just had that moment. It was the 17th actually that I actually quit. And then afterwards he emailed me, and called me my manager at the time, who I'm, I never had a problem with. Like my job was a, a perfectly fine job. It just wasn't for me anymore. And so he called me and he was like, "Hey, he's like, so we need to like clear the air that I didn't fire you, so that you won't receive uh, payouts or benefits or you know like leave and stuff." He goes, "So I need like an actual voluntary resignation email." It's like, if you could do me a solid. And I was like, dude, you know what? I got you. And so I sent <laughs> so this that is what you two, created. I love it. So I sent that. So I sent that two weeks later. And um, I'm glad I did, man, because it's hilarious. And my signature is like this little hodgepodge different businesses I had. I had like my property group as the signature. And then the, the website attached was my podcast. It was hilarious. And on my show, it was a running internal joke where I had a countdown for when I was going to quit my job publicly. But the running joke was nobody in my job would listen to my podcast. And so I was like, three months until I quit my job, two months until I quit my job. Here's how I'm going to do it. One month until I quit my job. And then I did it. And then I was like, this is the week. Wow. I did it, man. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, let's let's wrap up here with with a few rapid fire questions. What is the uh, most expensive pair of shoes you've purchased oh that's oh i know exactly the most expensive pair a pair of Decova boots baby 
Austin, Texas represent genuine ostrich. Three payments. <laughs> uh, those were about 500 bucks. And it's a pair of uh, my or those orange ostrich boots from Tacovas. I freaking love those. Is that what welcomed you when you moved to Austin? I actually had those a year prior. Okay. Um, they were making their moves in Atlanta. And so I was just like, man, this is destined. I, I tell all my friends that come here and visit, they got to get themselves a pair of boots because it's just, it's just part of being a Texan. Yep. What is the uh, most expensive meal out that you paid for? Oh, yeah, that one. That one's actually a hilarious story. The most expensive meal out I've ever paid for is seven hundred dollars um, because I was with a buddy that was a high roller and he loved people to know it. So you, everyone knows that person. And so we go out to dinner. It was a group dinner and we're together. And then at the end, he's like, me and Brian got it. Don't worry. And he throws down like cash. So it was like a $1,200 deal a dinner and he pays like half of it. He just throws it down in hundred dollar bills and he's like, you got the rest. I was just like standing there with my credit card, just like dumbstruck. I was like, wait, what? Like, but then everyone's just looking at me. I'm like, and he's acting like this was like an agreed upon thing. <laughs> and so I paid 700 bucks. I was like, I just wow. did it. I was like, what? <laughs> Hopefully it tasted so, good, right? Yeah. Don't hang out with that guy anymore. <laughs> Business expense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. What about the uh, most expensive car? Most expensive car. Um, I'm not a big car guy, uh, big travel guy. Um, so I'll pay a crap ton of money for Airbnbs and hotels. Uh, most expensive car, I've got a, a 2018 V6 Camry XSE. That's a pretty sweet, called the Stormtrooper. It's the two-tone black and white. Um, and it's a pretty good metaphor for my life because it looks like a freaking tricked out BMW, but it's a Toyota and it's very dependable and affordable. So it uh, was $34,000. I bought it cash. Nice. What experience have you not had yet that you're looking forward to? Uh, I literally have a list of them, man. Um, I want to go in the hot air balloons in Cappadocia, Turkey. So that's reserved for whoever my next girlfriend is. If I don't think many of them will probably be listening to this show. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, um, you're going to have a whole slew yeah. of girls hitting you up after uh, this. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to do Amalfi Coast. I want to have like an Italian sports car. I want to drive it along the Amalfi Coast. I want to do... Uh, see the northern lights in an igloo and i want to come out of the igloo and see northern lights i don't have a dog sled involved so i don't know if i'm going to take the dog sled to the igloo or from the igloo but that's either going to be in alaska or canada or norway i want to do that um yeah dude i've got a list of about 20 to 30 new bucket list experiences because i've already knocked out all my previous ones so good for you super fun what's a, a closely held belief that you've changed your mind on recently my mind immediately went to the um, to the renting and the proximity. I used to think, you know, I would never rent again, and renting was stupid, and for for people that didn't understand financial freedom. But now I rent again, and it's actually been pretty pleasant. I would say a belief that I'm changing is you don't like you're not that good. Like you're not as good as you think you are at most things. And becoming an entrepreneur has helped me expand that and force that lesson on me fast. I'm not good at operations. I'm not good at the very technical day-to-day -day admin stuff. So I had to learn that really, really fast in my business and hire people that were really good at that and really enjoy doing that. So I would say probably the renting thing and being in proximity to like the Miamis, the LAs, the New Yorks, the um, San Francisco's, the Austin, Texas's, like be where the action is and also pay attention to your strengths and realize that you're not that great at most things and delegate those out. If you were to be a professor in college, which course would you teach? <laughs> That's a good one. I would teach personal, personal finance slash economics because when I was in college, I had a one class where it was Dr. James Burton, and he taught about, you know, kind of like Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. It was just a random summer course I took. And it was like the art of like personal finance and personal affairs or something. I don't even remember the name of the class, but that was the first time that I was introduced to like self-development and personal finance and like savings. And he was like, You save 10%, you invest 10%. And I just remember that, you know, I sent him an email a couple years ago. I don't know if he's still there, but I sent him an email a couple years ago and I told him that it impacted me. So that's what I would teach. How would you rank luck, hard work, and skill? In what context? Your success, anyone else's success, however you define success. What are the inputs luck. that are most important? Luck, luck hard work, or skill? 
So there's different, yeah, so I would say there's different forms of luck, and luck is created by hard work. I think hard work precedes everything. That's where you begin, because you can't have luck or skill without the hard work. So there's this uh, guy named Naval Ravikant that I really love. He's a very, very gifted entrepreneur and philosopher, and he essentially said, he's like, luck is like the intersection of opportunity and action. He goes, so people that are moving and shaking tend to kick things up in the dust that are opportunities. So it's like if I hadn't have taken action to make the podcast and just done it, if I hadn't have like taken the action to buy my first rental property and just done it, even though everyone else told me not to, if I wouldn't have taken the action, I wouldn't have gotten lucky. If I wouldn't have sent the cold emails that I did to the founders of GoBundance and they took me under their freaking wing when I was worthless and they trained me and coached me and mentored me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything. So people could say, hey, that was lucky. Yeah, yeah it was. <clears throat> but you create your own luck. And so it all, it all comes back to hard work. You're not going to get skill without hard work either. Awesome. Wow, I've given so many pieces of words of advice. Appreciate that. What would be one to wrap up for somebody who's just beginning on their journey? Figure out where, you're, where you want to go and who you want to be. If you're just now starting out on your journey, it may seem like a slow thing to do and a passive thing to do. But it would be the most impactful thing that you ever do in your life because um, in the context of luck, luck, fate, whatever have you, the universe rewards those that are very clear about what they want. It's very classic think and grow rich Napoleon Hill. So if you are one of the few that has a very crystal clear idea of where you're going and who you want to become, then that destination and those people that already embody those character traits will appear in your life and be there for your journey. So sooner you can understand that that to be true, and that's the most important thing out of all of this that we talked about today, the faster you'll be successful. Awesome. And where can people find Brian? Where's Brian hanging out today? Brian is hanging out over at the Action Academy podcast. That's where I'm hanging and chilling, man. It's uh, my baby. So I do that five episodes a week, five to $50 million is the normal range for the guests. I'm going to have good old Jace here giving his testimony, his proclamations of wealth here. Um, if you guys want to go check that out, I'd say go there. Um, Instagram at Brian Lubin. That's where I'm at uh, all social platforms. And if you are interested in hearing about the community or you just want some freebies, I've got a free 30 page guide at w2toworldtravel.com. Bought the absolute hell out of that domain as soon as I quit my job. So <laughs> that's a, that's a free thirty page guide that kind of walks through the actual numbers and spreadsheets of how I was able to leave financially with a bunch of different resources for you guys. Awesome, that's Brian. Net worth of just over a million bucks. Going to be back up there here bang, pretty bang. soon. Awesome. Thanks for coming to the show today. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.